God gets glorified when prayer gets answered. And people get confused when prayer isn't answered. And it's our fault because we don't ask in line with God's word. John said this. He said, this is the confidence that I have in him. That if I ask anything according to his will, well, how would we know his will? His word is his will. Everybody say that with me. His word is his will revealed to us. That's the promises that he's referring to. And this is the confidence that I have in him. If I ask anything according to his word, you could say. That's why you hear Pastor Bill only pray the word. And and, and, this is the confidence that we have in him. We ask anything according to his word. We know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that he has granted us the petitions that we've desired of him. So two things are very important. Be sure you're asking the word or what God has promised. And be sure you're in faith. How do you know you're in faith? Ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea. He is tossed to and fro. And let not that man even think that he'll receive anything. See, it's not about God giving it. It's about us receiving it. You know, the UPS man can come day after day after day and leave that little yellow slip on the door, and you'll never get your package. Anybody ever have that happen? you got to be there to receive it, or you got to go get it and receive it. But see, it's not, you know, uh, when you have a, a satellite dish, it isn't about the satellite rays that are coming down. It's about turning on the receiver. Somebody say amen. It's about us receiving it. That's why it says in Mark eleven twenty four, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, if you believe that you receive, you shall have it. It doesn't say one thing about God. Concerning answered prayer, it doesn't even say anything about God because God's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's already promised them through his word. He's already said, this belongs to you, this belongs to you, this belongs to you. And then you, you go over to Mark eleven twenty four, and it says, whatsoever things that you desire, if you believe that you receive it, you shall have it. God is not mentioned one time in that verse. You see, we've got to understand it's about changing us, not about changing God. God's already got it right. God's already got it. He, he knows what we have need of before we ask. Can I get an amen? We just need to learn how to ask properly. We need to be in faith. We need to understand what prayer is. Many people, as, as we, we think we can beg and we'll get a yes or a no. No, we need to find out what the word says and ask in line with it. We can't just beg God for some stupid thing that isn't promised. One guy says, well, I'm believing for, for my neighbor's car. Well, that's covetousness. God's not going to give you that. Somebody say amen. So we, we've, got, we've got to understand what prayer really is. So we're talking about the power of prayer today. And uh, we need... Uh, to always realize that God loves us and his character is always mercy and grace and he always wants us to have and it's usually us that's keeping us from receiving it. Amen. Now, I, I went to Oral Roberts University. I studied theology and uh, went on and got a master's degree and, and went to Bible school also. And, and you know, they talk all these big words in, in, when you study theology, these big scary sounding theological terms and, 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 you know, a lot of people don't really know what they mean and and, but, but you start studying a little bit, you start realizing what they mean, and they, and they really do have some practical meaning, some of them. And I can remember studying, you know, theology comes from the word theos, and, you know, the study of, or the speech of, or the subject of, that's what ology means. And so, it's the study of God, we could say, in a more standard understanding of it. But when we study God, we study the attributes of the character and the nature of God. And today I want to talk about two things, the sovereignty of God and the immutability of God. Now, those are big, scary sound words, but they're really pretty simple. And sovereignty is this, sovereign, uh, you know, sov, the first part of that word, S-O-V-E, it means supreme. We can all understand supreme, can't we? That's pretty simple. Uh, the head honcho is what I would say it, the supreme one. So supreme, and then... Uh, that last part of sovereignty, we get the word reign. And to reign means to rule. So you could say that sovereignty means supreme ruler. So that's a pretty easy thing to understand. There, there's nothing terribly hard about that. The Bible says in Psalms 99, uh, 1, it says, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubs, and let the earth be, be moved. So he reigneth. So we're going to talk about prayer today. And so, did we already pray? Did I pray? I don't think I prayed. So let's bow our heads, and we're going to be getting on the subject of prayer, and I'm just believing God's going to just open our eyes a little bit more, get a little bit more light on this subject, so that we're a little bit more effective. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Father, it's forever settled in heaven, and those who follow it will be forever settled. And Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would just impart it into our hearts now. For me, as your oracle, uh, Father, to have clarity of mind, articulation of speech, and boldness of spirit to communicate your word today. Father, just give me winsome uh, speech. And Father, I just pray that you'd have each one here that are going to receive the word today by the Spirit of God, that they would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to do. Father, they would receive it with meekness, that engrafted word which is able to save their soul. And they'll be doers of the word, not just hearers only. So, Father, give us the grace to do what we hear so we don't deceive ourselves. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I want to turn over to uh, there in the book of Revelation. There's a verse of scripture I want to start out with concerning his reign and his sovereignty. I think it's a very powerful verse. It's Revelation 19.6. You can turn there if you want or you just listen. And it says this, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, waters represent humans, and the voice of many thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. There's three words there that are very pertinent. Lord, and, and, and Lord God, it says, but Lord in particularly, omnipotent, and reigneth. Now, a lot of people don't know that the word sovereignty isn't even in the Bible. Go get your Strong's Concordance and look, and you'll not find the word sovereignty. It's not even a Bible word, actually. A lot of people use it. Now, it's biblical in concept, but it's not a biblical word. Uh, sorry to burst your bubble if you, if you, if you have a uh, you know, sovereignty of God hang up. So, in Revelation... <laughs> But sovereignty is spoken of here because three things constitute sovereignty, and that is authority, power, and dominion. Everybody say that with me. Authority, power, and dominion. Now, that might be hard to understand, but let's just bring it down to a simple uh, you know, realm. Let's look at a law enforcement officer. Now, we got police officers, and they're kind of, their dominion is the city. We've got the sheriff's department. Their dominion is the whole county. Then you've got the military, and, and it goes up and beyond all that. But see, authority is what the state has vested them with, that they can stand in a busy intersection in their blue uniform with their badge and their 357 or 9mm on their hip. And when they put up their arm, all the cars stop. You know, 20-ton trucks stop. A 20-ton truck has a lot more power than that little 200-pound body standing there. And could crush it like an ant if it wanted to. But the authority is, we all agree in the state of Iowa to vest him with the authority on the behalf of all of us to be able to enforce the law through an authoritative figure. So the badge represents his authority vested in him by the state. His 357 is the power to enforce that authority. Can I get an Amen. His little radio that he can call 10 more police officers and a SWAT team also is his power to enforce that authority. Somebody say amen. So we know that we have such a thing as dominion. We've got such a thing as authority and such a thing as power that we deal with every day and is so normal and so obvious to us that we overlook it as anything. But yet the Bible talks about God has ultimate power. He has ultimate authority and he has ultimate dominion over the whole universe. But yet he has delegated, he has given us authority. How many of you know that God has given us authority over serpents and scorpions, over all the power of the enemy that nothing shall by any means harm us? And so he gives us certain authorities. He's given us certain powers. He's given us certain dominions. Paul says, don't go beyond your sphere of dominion, that he was called to a certain sphere in his ministry. And that some were called here and some were called there. You know, when Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, that was his sphere of influence. He didn't have any influence on the way to Tarshish. He only had trouble. And so when you're in your sphere of influence, things will go well. But sovereignty is a powerful word. But it really represents lordship. It really represents, uh, you know, which is authority. And omnipotence, which is really power. And reigning, which is really a dominion that you've been given power and authority over. So it doesn't mean he just does whatever he wants. A lot of people think the sovereignty of God is that he can break all of his laws. He can break all of his principles. He can be this lawless dictator like Adolf Hitler and do whatever he wants because he's God and he's sovereign. He'll make you sick. He'll, he'll kill you. He'll, no, 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 no. That's, that's complete ignorance gone to seed. 
That is not the God that we serve. He doesn't do just whatever he feels like or wants to do. He is bound by his word. He's exalted his word even above his own name. Psalm 138, 2. Read it sometime. His word is forever established in heaven. He doesn't change. He, he, is, he is the same. And, and it doesn't mean, you know, a lot of people, and, and this is what's really sad, God, you know, he holds to his principles, but many have blamed tragedy on God ignorantly in the name of sovereignty. Many have blamed tragedies on God ignorantly because they think that's sovereignty. They think that God acts like the devil one day, like he's some type of schizophrenic, uh, demon-filled maniac one day that does horrible things. You know, well, you know, when horrible things happen, you know, children are molested, people are murdered, things are stolen. Well, God has mysterious ways. We don't understand them. No, you don't understand the Bible. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. You might want to just start right there. And you'll start getting your head turned around straight. And that God is good and his mercy endures forever. Everybody say it. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. There were in there in Psalms 1. What is that? And it's like 36 times he says his, his mercy endures forever. Over and over and over again. I can't remember which psalm that is. But it takes up a page and a half saying his mercy endures forever. I think he wants to get that point across. So we need to be very much uh, for an understanding that God is merciful, he's gracious, and he loves us above all things. He's not looking for a way to send us to hell. He's looking for a way to get us to heaven. He's not looking for a way to punish us. He's looking for a way to get us off the hook. He's not looking for a way to make life miserable. He's looking for a way to get us to walk with him and make life better. The path of the righteous grows brighter every day, the Bible says. So... We wonder, then why does all this bad stuff happen? I mean, isn't God in control? Well, you know what? I'm in control of my kids, but I let them grow up, and sometimes they go out and do stupid things. No, but I'll tell you, it's really true. See, God gave stewardship to Adam and Eve or mankind, and they lost it. They gave it away. They gave themselves away, and everything that goes with them was was their stewardship. They gave themselves to Satan, essentially. Turn with me. To Psalm 115 and 16. I'm going to just, and you can listen along if you want, or you can turn to these scriptures. We're, we're going to hit several scriptures. We're, going to, we're probably going to do a little more scriptures today than usual, uh, but that's all right. I mean, after all, I, I imagine having some scripture mixed in with your sermon. I mean, golly. It says over there in Psalms 115 and 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. There's that sovereignty, but, oh, there's that but word, but the earth had they given to the children of man. Yeah, the earth is the Lord's, but he's given it to us to steward over. We're in charge of it. Screw it up, fix it, whatever. We're in charge of it. God gave that. You know, if you, if you lease a, an apartment to somebody here uh, in, in Iowa, you lease a house to somebody here in the state of Iowa, the law says you can't go in, and if he's tearing it all to pieces, let's say you got a renter, and some of you know about this because you've come and asked me to pray. You got a renter, and he's tearing up your house. You can't do anything about it. You can't even go into your own house. And that's just man giving his word to other men with a contract. What about when God gives his word and says, I've put you in charge? And man screws it up. God doesn't just arbitrarily go against his word, then come in and fix it for us. He had to become a human being and become part of the human race before he could do anything about it. Because this world is ran by man who invites God to come in and do something. That's why you have not, because you, you ask not. You see, we've got to understand these things, otherwise prayer makes no sense at all. What's going on in the world? Bad things in the world start making no sense at all, and eventually you get mad at God. And I know plenty of people like that. They don't come to church, though. <laughs> but they're mad at God, because they've seen some bad things, and they're blaming him. Because somebody put in their head something about the sovereignty of God that was completely unbiblically taught, not di- rightly dividing the word of truth. Turn to Psalms 8. Here's another psalm. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. You, you can read in many, numerous places. We can't even begin to hit them all. But it looks, it looks like to me the same thing is being said here in Psalms 8, verses 4 through 6. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? 
For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. And thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. And he's put man in charge here on earth. And of course, the psalmist would only know that because Moses wrote in Genesis 1, and go ahead and turn there as well if you want. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. He says that God, in the very beginning, gave them dominion. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the, every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So he put man over even, even the animal kingdom. It says in, in Psalms, all things, but then he articulates in particular the animal kingdom. So we've been given authority. Man has dominion. But then Adam and Eve gave it away. Stay right there in Genesis. We all know the story. Genesis 3, the serpent came. God said in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, Adam, now he didn't speak to Eve, he only spoke to Adam. This is where Eve was even pulled out as the rib and created into a, a, a lady and brought back to him and made one with him. But back even before that, God said to Adam, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. And the devil comes and has a conversation with Eve after she comes on the scene. And he says, what? God has said what? Hath God said what? Hath God what? What did God, God said that? Nah, nah, nah. He didn't really say that. The devil's still doing that today. Has God really said that? He's still doing that today with the word with every person on planet earth. And God, no, no, you won't surely die. Refuting God. And he says, no, no, if you eat of the tree, you'll become like God. Making out God's some threatened guy for, Somebody who's threatened, afraid somebody's going to be his equal. Making out God to be threatened. God made him in his own image already. Satan said, you're not in his image, and if you'll eat, you'll become his image. No, the truth was they already were his image, and if they eat, they'll cease to be in his image. And so they ate. And they made Satan Lord by way of obedience. To whom you obey, you make Lord. So they had dominion and authority over the world. They owned that, but then Satan owned them. And so their dominion was the subset of them. So now Satan owns them and everything of them, which was their authority over the earth. So that's why we see over there in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, If our gospel be hid, is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, Lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, whose image of God, should shine unto them. So he's called the God of this world. And see, Jesus doesn't even refute. Now, Paul calls him the God of this world. And here, Adam and Eve turn over dominion to Satan by turning themselves over, disobeying God. Now, he's no more Lord in their life. God's not their Lord because they're not obeying him. And then obeying Satan, making Satan Lord because now they're obeying him. And so now he's Lord over them and Lord over everything that they have. And man is the steward of the dominion of the earth, and he gives it away. And see, Jesus doesn't even refute that. Turn with me to Luke, the fourth chapter. We want, we want to know why bad things happen in the earth today. We're talking about why bad things happen. I said we're talking about why bad things happen. Because Satan is the God of this world. And if you let him do, if you permit, everybody say permit, permit. Him to do it, he'll do it. But also, if you'll forbid him to do it, he won't be able to do it. We'll find out about that in a few minutes. But you see, Jesus, when he was in the wilderness temptation, Satan took him up on a high place. Over there in Luke, that <clears throat> fourth chapter, verses 5 and 6, he says, and the devil, at taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. Now, kingdom, king represents rulership, reigning, sovereignty, power, authority, dominion, kingdoms. Kingdoms have kings. 
Satan's called the God of this world. Satan says they're his. The devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto, delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Did you know Jesus did not refute or repudiate that phrase, that all the kingdoms were his, and to whoever he wanted to give it to? That's because Jesus knew it was true. Because he knew that Adam and Eve had given over the kingdoms of this world to Satan. That's why Paul knew to be able to call him the God of this world. That is why there is wickedness. Even children molested, uh, people murdered, ugly, terrible things happen in this world. They're inexplicable. Now, anybody who says, well, that's a sovereignty of God and he works in mysterious ways and God has everything under control. Anybody who would say that? is depraved. That is not God. God did not create man for those things. That is not God's image. God created man in his own image. That is not the plan of God for anyone's life in any way, shape, or form. So we've got to understand that what, you know, the, the question, why does evil happen in the world? Because there's a devil. Because there's a rebel. There's a, there was a great, beautiful angel that was so full of himself and did whatever he pleased. You know, he's not some stupid-looking thing with horns and in a red suit and a tail and hooves and a pitchfork. That's, that's asinine, that's juvenile, that's Hollywood. He's a glorious, most majestic angel in heaven that was so full of himself, like a lot of people are today in our culture. He said, I will exalt myself above the Most High. I will sit upon the throne on the sides of the north in the congregation, and I will be as God. Self-assertive, self-actualized, self-centered, selfish. In any way, it was all about him. The Bible says in the last days that we'll have people like that. Perilous times will come and people will be filled with themselves. They'll be selfish. They'll, they'll be just unteachable. And see, that is just people taking on the nature of Satan in the last days. See, but Jesus said in Matthew 28, when he rose from the dead, he gave us great hope over these things. And he tells us what it is uh, that is the answer. Because now Satan has dominion over the earth, but Jesus declares something right after he's raised from the dead. You can see in Matthew 28, it starts out with the resurrection of Jesus. And then you go, and then Jesus begins to speak. And it says in verse 18, And Jesus came and he spake unto them, saying, All authority... In the King James, they translated it power. You know, in the Greek, power is deutimus, and authority is azusia in the Greek. Actually, that is azusia, so it should have been rendered authority. It says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in, everybody say it with me, earth. All authority. And he has all power. And he has all dominion. So what does that mean? That means that Satan has been defeated. Colossians 2.15 says, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, and he triumphed over them in it. He's delivered us from the powers of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, not loving our life unto death. I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture how that we have been given that Luke 10, 17 authority. Behold, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall by any means harm you. Amen. And I can go on and on about the authority that the Bible says that Jesus obtained through the resurrection and then gave unto us in the new birth. Right. We have authority. All those kingdoms that Satan was throwing in Jesus' face, those kingdoms that he was mocking Jesus and, and trying to get Jesus to bow to him, Jesus knew this day would come that's recorded in Revelation, the 11th chapter and the 15th verse. And it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. How many ever heard the hallelujah chorus? You see, those kingdoms that Satan was saying, I, all these kingdoms belong to me. They've been delivered unto me, and I'll give them to whoever I choose to give them to. And Jesus is thinking, oh, no, you won't, mister, because I'm going to take you down. Amen. And he cast him into the lake of fire, the Bible says. 
And we know that those kingdoms have been, let me read it again, the kingdoms of our Lord and the kingdoms of our Christ, and he shall reign. The kingdoms of this world, excuse me, are become the kingdoms of our Lord and the kingdoms of our Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. But you see, that has already happened. Jesus has already defeated Satan. He's already given us the authority and the power. And now we're to take it and defeat Satan. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, it says that Jesus is above all principality, power, and might, and every name that's named in heaven and on earth. And he is the head, and we are the body. And that we've been placed over all things. It says another place in Ephesians, it says that we've been raised together. We've been seated together in heavenly places with Christ. We've been made alive, it says in Ephesians 2. See, Ephesians 1, if you'll read Paul's prayer, verses 16 through 24, you'll see that he's talking about how that this, he prayed for their eyes to be opened, that they might know the hope of his calling. He prayed that they might know that the same power that raised him from the dead has raised them from the dead. And that power has seated him far above all principality, power, and might, and every name that's named in heaven and earth. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it says in Colossians. And he says, then right next, in the very next verse, there's no chapter distinctions in the original Greek. So in the same discourse, the same thing that he was talking about, he says, oh, and by the way, you who are dead, once dead, children of wrath, children of disobedience, enemies of God in your mind, he goes on and he says, you've also been raised with me. He said, you're joint heirs together with Christ. You're also seated up there, made alive in heavenly places, sitting at the right hand of God with me. Because you've got the same authority that raised me from the dead. And now you've got that same authority vested in you like a police officer has it vested in him by the state to be able to stand against the devil and his powers. And if you don't understand that, your prayer life is going to be mighty pathetic. If you don't know that God has seated you above the devil... God has seated you above circumstances. God has seated you above all the things of this life and the lies of this world. Then you will never have a sense of victory and you'll only be a beggar in prayer instead of a person who's a partner in prayer with God. Knowing what belongs to you, having a contract that promises you certain things. And that is so powerful because turn to Matthew 16 and 19. Quickly, turn to Matthew 16 and 19. And Jesus says to the disciples, we'll just start there in verse 18. And I say, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, thou shalt bind in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, thou shalt loose be loosed in heaven. Now you can go on to more modern translations, and, and it says this: and whatsoever thou shalt uh, permit on earth will be permitted in heaven, and what whatsoever that thou not not permit, excuse me, but whatever uh, that you allow or disallow. Now, I'm amazed, uh, what, whatever you forbid is, is what it says in the NLT translation, I, and I like this translation. It says, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. See, we, we're the satellite of heaven doing its work down here on earth. Somebody say amen. amen. But man has authority. You know... Kenneth E. Hagin said one time, he had a supernatural vision where Jesus appeared to him and Jesus was talking to him and teaching him certain things about divine healing. And he was over in the spirit, he was having discernment of spirits, that's one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, that's where you see into the spiritual realm. Jesus was speaking to him, he could see him face to face, had this very supernatural experience where the Lord appeared and spoke to him. That still happens, contrary to a lot of popular opinion. And all of a sudden, a demonic little being, like a little imp-like creature, suddenly appeared and started making a terrible racket, fussing and fuming and carrying on and getting between him and Jesus and making a terrible racket, making all kinds of noises. Then like this smoke started to come up between him. And before he knew it, he couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. 
And he says, Lord, aren't you going to do anything about it? He says, not a single thing. He says, I've already done everything I'm going to do. I died on the cross, I raised from the dead, and I gave authority to you to do something about it. See, a lot of times we pray that God would rebuke the devil. My Bible says, go into all the world preach the gospel of every creature, and he that believeth and baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. Oh, Jesus, cast the devil out for me. No, the Bible says, and they that believe, they shall cast out the devils. He tells us to take authority over the devil. And as soon as Brother Hagin rebuked that evil spirit, it immediately left. And then he could hear Jesus again. Now take that and transpose that into your life. How many times are you having a hard time hearing the Lord's voice? How many times do you think there's interference? You know, Paul said, we would have come unto you except that Satan hath hindered us. He says that twice in Romans and once in Thessalonians. Gosh, if Paul had problems with that, how much more do we probably have it? How many times, anytime you, you plan something spiritual for God and there's all kinds of technology goes funny and all kinds of things come up and, and you know, everything can go wrong, will go wrong, you know. That's the devil. But we have authority over that. Somebody say, we have authority over that. And what we permit on earth will be permitted in heaven and whatsoever we forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. God gave us authority to do something about that. You see, if we never pray... Satan will have havoc with your family, your, your, your kids, have havoc with our church, have, play havoc with the town, with the community, with the county. But God calls Christians to pray. He calls us to do something about it. Not set back and, and, and be a permitter, permitting everything, but forbidding the devil and permitting uh, the things of God to go forward. We've got to permit the things of God. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let's look at the next point, the immutability of God. Mutable is where we get the word mutate or mutation. It means to change. Immutable means non-changing or never changes. The immutability of God means that God, he never changes. Malachi says, I am the Lord, I changeth not. Malachi 3, 6. James 1, 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, nor even shadow of turning. He's never going to change. God himself never changes. Hebrews, uh, let me think, 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many of you God knows that God is the same God as he was in the Old Testament? We don't have a different God. Psalms 119 says his word is forever settled in heaven. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word never changes. God never changes. God is his word, and his word represents him. God never changes in his character. He never changes in his nature. He never changes in his principles. He never changes in his eternal laws. He never changes in his word. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you know, sometimes... He can change his mind and course of action determined by whether we change. Now, I knew it was going to get real quiet right there. You know, if you draw nigh unto God, that moves him. You change him, suddenly he draws nigh unto you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. You just changed God's position. Can I get an amen? Amen from stationary to drawing toward you. It doesn't mean that he never changes his mind or action contingent upon our faith and our responses. Exodus 32, 8 through 14. Quickly, let's turn there. We're going to look at when Moses interceded for the children of Israel in their rebellion and disobedience. We all know the story. Moses went up on the mount with God. He came down, and they had built golden idols, golden calves, they were throwing a wild party. They were declaring that these are the gods that took us out of Egypt. They'd gotten rid of Moses and they'd made Aaron the new pastor without telling him. I knew one pastor that he came home. Well, he, he went into church one day and all of his stuff was laying out in the, in the backyard. And they informed him uh, that that new name on the door was the guy they had hired. And, oh, by the way, you're fired. Real nice people. Moses up on the mountain. They, they've made Aaron the new pastor. 
They've made golden calves the new God. They've made belly dancing the new worship service. And Moses comes down and God's with him having a conversation. And it's like, oh my gosh. Verses 8 through 10. And it says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto. And said, these are thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. In other words, I'm going to do away with these guys. Wow. Now remember, please remember the sovereignty of God. Please remember the principle of Matthew, what we just read, out of Matthew, uh, the 16th chapter, the 19th verse, that whatsoever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatsoever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Remember that. And it says, And Moses besought the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does, thou why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with many hand, mighty hand, excuse me? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them? God, you know, all those heathens are just going to be laughing at you, saying, yeah, your big, powerful God brought them out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea, and then they, he, couldn't, he couldn't make them behave, so he killed them all. What do you think about that, God? Is that a good idea? Oh, Mr. Moses, you're pretty bold with your prayers. Wow. Wherefore did the Egyptians speak and say for mischief? He did bring them out and to slay them in the mountains. And to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy wrath, thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. And remember, then he begins to remind him of his own word. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou sweared by thy own self, and says unto them, I will multiply your seed. How are you going to do that if they're all dead, God? You made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You made a promise to the patriarchs. You said it would be their children that the lineage would be that Christ would come through and that you would multiply it as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. He's reminding God of all those words, all those promises. Wow. And multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the land, as I have spoken of, I will give your seed and they shall inherit the earth. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. See, in most translations, it's relented. The word relent. But in Old King James, it's repent. Repent is metanoia, is the original word. Metanoia means to change your mind. In the Old Testament, out of 108 times that this word is used, 41 times it's repent. All the rest of them is relent. But I believe this, if we'll repent, God will relent. If we will stand in the gap, whatever we permit on earth will be permitted in heaven, and whatever we... Forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. See, in Ezekiel 22, 30 through 31, the Bible says that God looked for someone who would stand in the gap. You know, did you know that God looks to and fro throughout the whole earth trying to find someone who he can show himself strong on the behalf of? Did you know that God's looking for somebody that'll be in faith? Did you know there's not very many people? You know that Noah and his family were the only faith people on the whole planet earth? Ezekiel 22, 30, says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap, intercede before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Well, he found one in Moses so that he wouldn't have to destroy it. And Moses talked him into what he already, in many ways, his mercy wants to do. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Because he couldn't find anybody to intercede, he's had to destroy his own people before. You see, God is looking for someone who will pray. And I believe this, the story of Hezekiah. You, you know, there's so many stories like this in the Bible where God changes his mind on something. Now, he doesn't change his nature. He doesn't change his character. 
We'll go to Ezekiel 37. Look what it says here. And it says, so I prophesied. Ezekiel prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied, and there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came. To, I'm sorry, I'm in 37. I need to go over to 38. And I wrote down the wrong, the wrong verse, but I can tell you it's Hezekiah. He came to, to Hezekiah, Isaiah did, and he said that you have seven, so, so much time to live. Put your house in order because you're going to die. Right. And it says, Hezekiah turned to the wall and he said to the Lord, but I've served you all these years and I've been faithful to you all these years. And he tells him about how he had been a person who followed God and served God and that he was willing to repent and he began to turn his face towards the wall and it says he wept before the Lord. And the Lord tells Isaiah, says, go to him again and tell him I have granted him 17 more years. I can show you story after story. The little woman, who, the Syrophoenician woman who came with the demon-possessed girl and said, Lord, Lord, my daughter is demon-possessed, come. And the Lord said, no. Then she came and, and she worshipped him. And he says, nope, I'm not going to hit her. She's not part of the covenants of Israel. She's not part of the promised people, or the, the promises of, of our people. And then the third time she called him Lord. And she said, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs off the table. And he completely turned his attitude around and says, in the Greek it says, mega is thy faith, woman. Be it done unto you according to your words. At first, he says, I don't even want to talk to this woman. She's a, he she's a heathen. She's not part of the covenants of Israel. Secondly, he told her again, and the disciples rebuked her. And then the third time, after the third time she came to him, he was amazed by her faith, and he granted her, her petition. We won't go to all these. these but but the, one of the greatest examples is Jonah. Let's turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is an amazing book. And we're going to look there. At chapter 4. Jonah is sent to, to uh, Nineveh. The first time he runs away and goes to Tarshish. And God sent a, you know, a whale taxi cab service to get him where he really belonged. <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide. Jonah. He's running away. I'll tell you what. It was Isaiah 40, and then, yeah, well, we won't go back. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, preach unto the, uh, it, the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah rose, and he went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was all the message was. You're going to be overthrown. He didn't explain to them the way of salvation. He didn't talk to them about how to repent. He didn't do anything. He just says, you're going to be overthrown. This is the will of God. This is the word of God. This is the message delivered. He says, in 40 days, none of us is going to be destroyed. Just thought I'd let you know. Of course, those people worshipped a God that had a fish's head. So a giant fish washes up on the shore and out of, its out of its mouth climbs this man, and he starts preaching. Well, they thought that was sent from God. Right. This has got to be God. I mean, we worship this big fish, this God with the big fish's head, and this big fish comes up on shore, and out of his belly crawls a preacher man. You suppose that's a message from God? Duh. So the people of Nineveh believe God. Now, you've got to remember, the Ninevites were the Assyrians. The Assyrians had some pretty strange pastimes. They liked to take God's people and take telephone poles, even though they weren't telephone poles, they were as big as telephone poles, and sharpen them like a pencil to a point and take their bodies and shove it down all the way through till it came out their mouth, fillet all their skin off of them, and then set them on fire. Not a very friendly folks. And Jonah absolutely hated their guts. He was mad. You know why? Because he was so sure the mercy of God was going to come upon them. He's thinking, God's not sending me there. God sent me there to warn them 
Because I know God's character. Now God, I know God might change his mind, but I know God never changes his character. He's always merciful and he's always gracious. He was always merciful, just like with Israel when Moses went to those rebellious people making those stupid cattle, those golden cows, and saying, these are the gods that took us out of Israel. And when Moses goes to God and prays, his character comes through. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is merciful. He is gracious. He is loving. He wants no one to perish, but all come to repentance. He is the same that way yesterday, today, and forever. God is always good. God is always loving. God is always a father. God always wants to save us. God always wants to uh, give us mercy and grace and a second chance. And see, Jonah knew that so well. That's why he didn't really want to go to these people. They were his arch enemies. And you know what? He preaches, and the worst thing in the world happens in his mind. They believe God, and they repented. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He preached, they believed, and God moved. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. I wish God's people would do that. Yeah. Believe God and proclaim fast. Proclaimed a fast and put sackcloth, the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from the throne, and he said... And he laid his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in the ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the degrees of the king and the nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast covered with sackcloth cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way. They're going to have prayer and fasting and repentance. Repentance. They changed every one of them from his evil way and from the violence that was in their hands. See, what we permit, God will permit. Wow. What we forbid, God will forbid. The keys of the kingdom of God is in our hands. If we permit the devil to do what he wants, he'll do what he wants. If we forbid the devil from doing what he wants, he can't do what he wants. When the disciples couldn't cast out the devils, Jesus rebuked them and says, don't you know this, guys? This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. These people were praying and they were fasting and they're repenting and the devil didn't get his way. He didn't send a bunch of wicked people to hell. Can I get an amen, somebody? And everyone, let, every, let, let them turn everyone from his evil ways, from the violence in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil. See, now, God hasn't changed. He's still merciful. He's still gracious. But he does change his mind because whatever we permit and whatever we forbid comes into play. Somebody say Amen. And God saw their, saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of his evil, of the evil. That's not moral evil. That's evil as in destruction. Destruction is called evil, is also interpreted as evil. It's not moral evil. It's, evil is also uh, interpreted from a word that means destruction. There's two different words for evil in the Old Testament. So they turned away from their destruction and repented of the destruction that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. When we repent, God will relent. God's immutability is an amazing thing. I'll tell you a story about Robert Morris. He's a guy who pastors a church in Texas called Gateway Church. He went and preached at a friend's church, big church. It was a prophecy conference. And in the middle of that prophecy conference, he went and he laid hands on a lady, and he prophesied over this older lady. He says, one day... Uh, because you've been so faithful, you will teach young women to pray for their unsaved husbands. And the whole congregation started clapping and going wild. They thought, well, what did I just prophesy here? Well, after the service, the pastor brought her in, took him aside and says, I want you to talk to the lady that you had that prophecy over. That you prophesied would one day pray for young women and teach them how to pray for their unsaved husbands. So she came up and told him this story. She had had an unsaved husband she prayed for every day for 42 years. 42 years. And suddenly he was killed in a car accident in Florida. Well, you can imagine how miserable she must have been, wondering, was he really saved? 
A month after he was killed, a man called her. After, a month after he was killed, this man just out of nowhere called and says, is such, and it has the name, is such and such there, your husband? He says, no, sir, he was killed a month ago in a car accident. And the stranger, this man on the phone, said, now, was this his name? Yeah. Was he in this city at that time? See, he'd go away, and he wouldn't necessarily call her until evening, but he was in another city when it happened, when he got killed in Florida. This is Texas, and he got killed in Florida. And he says, was he in this city? Was it this day? Was it this time? And a month ago, this day. He says, that day... This is a businessman. He says, I'm a businessman. I'm in my suit. I'm downtown in my office. That day, the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone. The Holy Spirit kept telling me over and over and over again, go out on the four-lane highway. Drive your car out there right now. He said he wouldn't leave me alone. He says, finally, I relented and I drove the car out. He told me to get out, stand on the side of the highway, and act like you're hitchhiking. Here's this dignified, wealthy businessman. Drives all the way from downtown out to the loop. Stands out there with his thumb up. He said, that day, your husband pulled over to pick me up. I got in this car, and I shared Christ with him, and he got born again. He got out of the car and left. And after that, the husband was killed in a car accident. Let me tell you something. There's great power in prayer. And that woman had prayed for 42 years and hours, maybe minutes before he was killed. God sent somebody. Let me tell you something. God is sovereign. He is immutable. But our prayers change things. Amen. How many of you believe that today? Yes. Don't ever stop praying. Don't ever forget that you have authority over the devil. Yes. Don't ever forget the keys of the kingdom is what we permit, God will permit in heaven. And what we forbid will be forbidden in heaven. And God wants us to have authority to be victorious over our enemies in this life. Let's stand up. We're going to be dismissed this morning. Amen. Father, we thank you. Lord, I ask that you bless the people as they go today. Father, prosper and protect. Guide, guard, and direct each and every one. May they be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Bless coming in and bless going out. May you do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. According to the power that dwells within us, that power of the Holy Spirit, that power of the word, that power of the keys of the kingdom, the authority, uh, the power and dominion that was given to Jesus and was given to us as we're seated in heavenly places at your right hand in that place above the devil. And Father, we thank you for it. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, you may be dismissed. Amen.